I'm Father Mitch Paco. Welcome to EWTN Live. We're bringing you guests from around the world. And tonight we have another very important discussion. This is going to be about the role of relativism in so many of the movements we see going on in our culture. Uh, things like the being woke and what connection is that to relativism. So we'll cover that in just a minute with our guest. But first, I want to give you an update about some events coming up with our Vice President, Peter Gagnon. Peter, what do we have coming up this week? So this Sunday, we'll celebrate the Feast of Corpus Christi. Mm -hmm. And um, so the Mass from here, we won't televise the Mass from here because we'll have the Mass up in Hansville. The friars will lead the Mass up there, and then they'll do a procession through the grounds of Hansville. It's a beautiful event. Um, our crew goes up ahead of time and sets it up, and we cover it each year. And um, it has particular significance um, this year because, you know, the, the initiative of the Eucharistic Revival is leading up to um, the big celebration of the Eucharistic Congress next year. So it's a, it's a special event to honor the body and blood of Christ, and um, I think our viewers really appreciate it. So we want them to tune in and watch that. And then next week on uh, the Feast of the Sacred Heart, we have the annual Global Ro Rosary Relay for Priests and where we carry events from different parts of the world. And it's a, a around-the-clock rosary relay praying for priests in front of the priesthood. Um, we'll cover it from Lourdes, the Shrine of Lourdes, from Walsingham. Our German office covers uh, one of the rosaries, and we do the rosary from here as well after the Mass. So tune in and join and pray in support for our priests and, and praying for vocations, which is very important. And finally, our, um, our office in Ireland has created a, uh, a program on enthronement to the Sacred Heart. Mm -hmm. And it actually, to enthrone the Sacred Heart within your homes and the devotion to that, and a lot of people um, are either not aware of it or don't know how to enthrone it. And actually, this gives a step-by-step -step process on how you can enthrone the Sacred Heart within your home and foster that vocation. So these are three special programs and events that are coming up um, beginning on Sunday and ending next Friday. So go to, um, they should go to EWTN.com and click on the TV section and they can give you the, um, the times in your area when these three programs will air. Yeah, this, this is good stuff. Uh, you know, Corpus Christi will be at the Shrine of the <clears throat> Most Blessed Sacrament. Exactly. Good mm -hmm. connection. Yeah. And this is the month of the Sacred Heart, that enthronement, for our families is extremely important, so we want to promote that as well. All right. Thank you very much for all that. Thanks, we'll be much. back with you and our guests, so please stay with us. Welcome back. Our guest tonight is an author and a Catholic apologist, and he's here to discuss the new relativism that is hiding behind today's so-called woke moralists and how we should replace their pseudo-commandments with God's directives and God's commandments, because God's commandments lead us to eternal life 
as well as to a world of moral and intellectual objective truth. So please welcome the author of a book called The New Relativism, Unmasking the Philosophy of Today's Woke Moralist, Mr. Carlo Broussard. Carlo, welcome. Father, Good to have you back. It's great to be back with you, yeah. my friend. Now, as a exiled Cajun <laughs> living in Southern California, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, Father. I'm hanging in there, man. We're, yeah. we're doing great. Just rocking and rolling at Catholic Answers, uh, all sorts of different projects that we have going on there. And so the Lord's really blessing us, man. Yes. Oh, it's been a great apostolate for many years now. And uh, we'll talk later on, but you're fixing to move over to Tulsa, Tulsa Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah, Monday, in fact, we'll be getting on the road and heading over there. Got some new initiatives <coughs> that Catholic Answers has entered into, important formal partnership with mm -hmm. the Diocese of Tulsa. So, uh, yeah, some great things happening. Looking forward to it. A new chapter in the Broussard family life and in mm -hmm. my career as, an, as a Catholic Answers apologist. And so exciting times, Father. Yeah, so do you have oxen or mules pulling your wagon? <laughs> Well, we got a Chevy Suburban, okay. buddy. <laughs> well, this topic yeah. is a, a, a very important one. Uh, first of all, what do you mean by these woke moralists? What are you talking about there? Let's get that clear. Because yeah, people sure. use that, but right. Well, what are you the, about? the idea of wokeism is to awaken to particular minorities that are being oppressed. Mm -hmm. And so that concept has been applied within modern culture in identifying certain groups of people who are perceived to be oppressed by others, namely non-white people within critical race theory, and particularly people... And, and, and by that, they are oppressed by white people. That is correct. But as I point out in the book, the quote-unquote oppression that is perceived is an affirmation of objective truth. That is viewed to be an oppression of mm -hmm. non-white people because white supremacy is equated with objectivity. So as many popular voices of critical race theory have stated in their books, objectivity is the ideologue of racism, in particular racism toward non-white people. Mm -hmm. And so what's being perceived as oppression is the affirmation of objective truth. And so it's perceived to be an oppression of non-white people when individuals affirm objective reality that's perceived as white supremacy and therefore oppression toward non-white people. Yeah, well, one, one of the areas, just so folks get something concrete here, yeah. The, there's talk about ethno-mathematics, not right. objective mathematics, but ethno. What do they mean by that? Yeah, equitable math instruction is a particular math instruction curriculum that was adopted by many different educational organizations in which they state that a, an essential toxic characteristic of white culture is right and wrong answers and objectivity. Mm -hmm. And this is what's being promoted within this curriculum. And the emphasis is to try, the, the, the purpose is to try to get teachers to shy away 
from the objective, rational thinking, yet another toxic characteristic of white culture, and emphasize other aspects of math, which raises the question, what other aspects of math could there possibly be besides arriving at objective truth? And so that's where a dilemma comes in, but it's more of trying to cater to non-white people who the implication is do not think objectively and do not have the skills to engage in rational thinking. And if you think about that, Father, what an injustice, what an insult to non-white people to imply that these individuals, these group of people don't have the rational capacity to engage in rational thought, they don't have the intellectual tools and skills to arrive at right and wrong answers, that, as I point out in my book, is an injustice toward those individuals. But see, and it's a racism towards non-white people. Well, here's one of the problems then. If you are one of these woke theorists, for you to say that would be typical of white oppression. And this is how this, this world of being woke yeah. is totally closed in on itself. If you make right. an objection saying, wait a minute, uh, people of other races, non-Caucasian people, can think very rationally and objectively, and if you are in a store in Africa or Asia, and you, th what's due to them is $5, and you give them $3, <laughs> right. they might say that is objectively wrong, that they would argue with to get their full $5. Right. But if you say, wait a minute, you're criticizing and, uh, by saying that people of other colors are as uh, able to be, think the, you know, objectively right. as European people do, then to say that is to go be objective of you being objective right. and oppressive. That's perceived as oppressive by them. So nothing you do can get you out of their system of thought. They right. trap you. That is correct. Which is interesting though, because if you think about it, as I point out in my book, Father, the very claim that objectivity is racism, right? Or the very claim that objectivity is white supremacy. Well, implied in that statement is that this is a proposition, this is a belief, that applies to all peoples at all times, no matter where you're at in the world, which means it's objective. And so in making the statement, objectivity is white supremacy, the individual is just as guilty of the white supremacy that they are charging other people of being guilty of. So it's self-refuting. Well, see, this gets at um, uh, uh, the, the basic problem with all relativistic thought. If you say there is no truth, you are asserting that it is objectively true that there is no obje objective right. truth. Which, it, is, which I point out in the book. Yeah, exactly. I, I explain that how whenever we look at, that's called in philosophy total or global relativism, yeah. as opposed to more localized relativism like moral relativism. Yeah. And one of the problems with total relativism is that it's self-referentially incoherent. When you apply 
its principle to itself, it pulls the rug out from underneath its feet. It's self-refuting, as you just pointed out. Yep. But what's interesting, Father, is that's the old relativism where you expose the absolutism of the relativism. But in the new relativism, relativism is hidden and lurking behind the absolute verbiage. You can't be a white supremacist. You can't be intolerant. You can't be a judgmental, hateful bigot, right? But what, what I'm doing in the new relativism book is exposing the relativism of the absolutism. You see a contrast there. So in the old relativism, we want to say, hey, relativism is basically just an absolute claim about reality. Yeah. But what I'm doing with these woke moral absolutes, which are all absolute in verbiage, you can't do this, you can't do that. But what I'm showing is the relativism that's embedded within the modern How? spin. What, what, all right, what do you mean by that then? Well, let's just take thou shalt not be a white supremacist, for mm -hmm. example. Whenever they say you can't be a white supremacist, what does that mean when you pull the veil back? Well, what that means within critical race theory is you cannot affirm objective truth because to do so is a toxic characteristic of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Now that in and of itself is incoherent because in order to say you cannot or it is wrong, you need objectivity. You mm -hmm. need objective truth. And so there's a cognitive dissonance here. There's an incoherent in the incoherence in the reasoning that's going on. And so that's one example of how relativism is lurking behind this absolute verbiage, what appears to be like a good thing, because let's face it, anybody who thinks of that moral command, you can't, it's wrong to be a white supremacist, as we would interpret that, we would say, amen, hallelujah, I agree, right? But when you unspin the modern spin, what you discover is this relativistic thinking. Here's another example. This yeah. might give some clarity. So that's it. that is one woke moral absolute within the first section of the book on total relativism. But in the second section of the book, I look at some of these woke moral commands that I see to fit within moral relativism. And you might be able to fit them in the other category as well. But consider this, Father. The woke moral command, thy shall not be intolerant the common charge or command that we must, to put it in a positive way, tolerate everybody's beliefs or, let's stick with lifestyle choices, as equal and valid. That's what is meant by tolerance. I call this in the book an egalitarian tolerance, mm -hmm. where everybody's lifestyle choice must be accepted as equal and valid. Well, if you think that through, Father, you come to discover that's just moral relativism. How so? Well, if no lifestyle, if all lifestyle choices are equal and valid, well, then it follows that no lifestyle choice is right and no lifestyle choice is wrong. You can't have good and bad behavior, moral, immoral behavior, if all lifestyle choices are equal and valid. And so, although there's this absolute command, you shouldn't be intolerant, you must be tolerant, embedded in that, is moral relativism. And so what I do is I expose that relativism in the book, and then I offer you some strategies of how we might try to engage in a conversation who's bought into this way of thinking and show the absurd, the intellectual absurdity of it. Well, a, a, an example I've been talking about uh, because it's uh, something that brings out a contradiction that a because this is the Pride Month, right. 
that one of the groups being honored by the Los Angeles Dodgers right. is a group that you know, calls itself the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And it's in, in a variety of venues, they mock Christ and the Blessed Mother and Mary Magdalene. And not mock just in sense of telling a joker here, but they do, you know, routines that are obscene by most standards. Right. Not theirs, but everybody else's. So then the question is, why, if they want us to affirm their choice to be sisters of perpetual indulgence, why does that mean that we have to tolerate them being intolerant towards the values of Christians? Right. See, that's where this comes up. Yeah. And, you know, by stepping into this area, the Los Angeles Dodgers have, have to make a choice. Do we offend the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and their pride supporters? Right. Or do we insult Catholics and with it most other Christians right. uh, who by letting them basically mock the holy habit of the sisters yeah. and mock Jesus Christ? This is where you know, their lifestyle is to mock Christianity. Right. Why is it that we have to accept theirs, but they don't accept that they can't mock us? That's... This is the ongoing constant problem right. that shows up in these areas of Yeah, well, it's, it's the double standard, right? So we're commanded by woke moralists to accept lifestyle choices, mm -hmm. particularly associated with the LGBTQ plus community, as equal and valid mm -hmm. to affirm and to celebrate those lifestyle choices. And that's in, right now. That's that, correct. That, that's, that is the choice, the, the range of choices that is right now Correct. and the in-group. Right. And, and that you can do that at the expense of other groups that once were the top groups. Uh, for instance, uh, transgender men who compete in women's sports right. have more cachet, more rights and more acceptance than women right. trying to compete with other women. Right, and if they were, to, and so if we take that example, if they were to follow the logic embedded in the thy shall not be intolerant moral command, they would have to accept as equal and valid the lifestyle choice of those brave women who are speaking out saying no to this and saying this needs to be changed, this is immoral, this is unjust. Mm -hmm. So if they were to follow their logic, they would have to accept those women's lifestyle choices to criticize the woke moralists mm -hmm. as equal and valid. But they can't do that because they have to uphold their agenda. Mm -hmm. And so in upholding their agenda and having transgender men compete in women's sports, they are actually guilty of the very intolerance according to their definition of tolerance, the very gu they're guilty of the very intolerance that they're charging other people to be guilty of for and not in, accepting that as equal and valid. And in the case where women athletes try to object, 
they don't allow them to speak. They're silenced. That is correct. Uh, silenced and even threatened. Threatened, right. Precisely because given our relativistic culture that's driving, the, the relativistic roots that's driving everything in contemporary culture, there is no reasonable foundation upon which these movements can rest. And so reason is out the window. And because that is part of white oppression. <laughs> right, you, that's if right. If you use logical thought to come that's to a supremacy. correct answer, that's white supremacy, and so, so you can't use that either. No, you cannot. And if reason, Father, is no longer in the driver's seat and the intellect is not steering the ship, so to speak, and it's off the table, well, then there can be no persuasion of mind. Mm -hmm. The mind is out the window. So all that's left is will, and it's will driving the car. And if only the will is driving the car without the mind, well, then... What's left is the will with the most power is the one that's going to win the day. And so whenever there's any opposition, there is no refutation, intellectually speaking, of saying this view is wrong. Here's the reason why our view is right, because they've ripped reason out from the foundation of their worldview. And so all that's left is the will in order to overpower the will of the other who is opposing. And that will is expressed by shouting people down, Correct. beating them up, as recently happened at a, uh, at, during a school board meeting, and doing other acts that just simply silent. I mean, And this... that, Father, is the very bigotry that they claim other people are guilty of when they criticize and have a negative moral evaluation of lifestyle choices associated mm -hmm. with the LGBT plus community. And notice, what is bigotry? Bigotry is whenever you have a negative opinion that's based merely on emotion rather than reason, mm -hmm. based upon preconceived biases. Mm -hmm. Whenever we, particularly as Christians, say, hey, you know, that lifestyle choice, let's say same-sex sexual activity or... Mm -hmm. Uh, transgender lifestyles, that behavior is not good for you as a human being. It's not going to lead to authentic human happiness. That's immoral. It violates reason. Mm -hmm. And you ought not to do it, right? Well, that is a, a, a negative response, but it's based upon reason, you see. <laughs> and that is not bigotry. But what we see from folks who criticize us for having that negative evaluation they're the ones guilty of the bigotry because all their response is, is as you mentioned, Father, shouting, violence, a negative emotional response that's not rooted in reason. And I think this is important for us to point out to people in conversation saying, hey, look, you know, I have a reason why I think this particular behavior is wrong. You might come to a different conclusion. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, we're living in a culture now where persuasion of the mind, again, is off the table. And all that we're left with is the conflict of wills. Mm -hmm. And this is one other element I would add to this. And I was sort of hinting towards it when we talked about how the efforts in the 1960s to make women's sports available to women so that they too could get scholarships. There was a time when there were not many women's scholarships for sports right. because it didn't bring in money to the schools, frankly. And 
the federal government said, no, women have to have equal opportunity. Title IX required schools to have sports for women by which they could also get various scholarships. Yeah. But now, if they let, uh, that was very popular, it was strong, but now if you don't let people who are physically male but identify as female, compete in female sports, right. then you are not in anymore. And so what happens is that even though they've gotten scholarships for women's sports, men who tend to be stronger than, than women are getting these different scholarships right. and other benefits that come from winning sports. And Which is an injustice toward those women. But, and so, but then you have this, in their mind, it's a competing injustice. Yeah. Because, well, it's, if you don't let them, you're unjust to transgender. And if you do let them play right. in the same sports, you're unjust to women players. And you see, in response to that, in, at least within a moral philosophy framework, there's an assumption there that it is unjust to not allow the biological male to compete in female sports. Mm -hmm. And that's the assumption that we would want to challenge and say, no, this is, mm -hmm. it, it is, it is not an injustice to discriminate in this case. And you see, here's the fundamental problem, Father. Mm -hmm. Discrimination is viewed within contemporary culture to be an absolute no-no whatsoever. You cannot discriminate mm -hmm. in any way, as opposed to a, a more sane and reasonable approach is distinguishing between just discrimination and unjust discrimination. We discriminate against blind people driving. If you're blind, you can't drive, right? But that's a just discrimination, right? Because there's a disproportion from the physical condition and the good being sought, namely driving. And so the same line of reason, the same logic has to be utilized and engaged in in these situations to try to show people like, hey, there's a disproportion here between the bodily condition, the physical condition of the individual and the good being sought within that context. And if you allow that person to seek that good within women's sports, that is an injustice mm -hmm. to those women. And it's not an injustice to the individual that you're saying, no, you can't compete. We don't say, hey, you adult, you cannot compete in the second grade t-ball game, right? Right. That's a just discrimination there. Mm -hmm. And I think that just discrimination needs to be recaptured within modern thinking. And mm -hmm. that might get us at least some way along the path to making things saner in our culture. But even when you talk about discrimination as just or unjust, we also have to think very clearly about principles right. that apply because the law created unjust discrimination, especially against African-Americans. Absolutely, yeah. And that you, Plessy versus Ferguson was a Supreme Court decision right. that institutionalized a discrimination that blacks could be separate so long it was as it was equal uh, facilities. That was what the Supreme Court said. But then they realized 
nobody is monitoring this, you know, how just that is, and nobody is, uh, is really monitoring if it was equal and wasn't equal, and it became extraordinarily unjust. Right. And even that concept of making discrimination on the basis of race was understood to be unjust. And that's why the Supreme Court undid yeah. that unjust decision later on in uh, Brown versus School Board. Yeah, and I think a, a key to that is f getting back to answering this question, what are we going to root justice in? Exactly. And justice can not be rooted in the state and its decision. It must first be rooted in that which is common to us insofar as we are human beings. And that's our human nature. And so I'm, I think that as the church has affirmed and philosophically come to this conclusion, we need to rekindle the flame of natural moral law theory, which looks to our human nature as the standard uh, uh, on which or the standard by which we're going to judge what's good or bad for us and human behavior mm -hmm. that's consistent with what's good for us and justice because justice is going to be rooted in our nature as social rational animals and what's due to us given our nature as rational animals or human beings. Yeah. And just to, to emphasize, the state cannot set its own norms because in 1856, they set a norm from, again, from the Supreme Court, insisting that people of African descent are inherently inferior. That was a state decision. Right. And that, you know, made sure that African descent people would remain slaves. Right because they were inferior. That was absolutely unjust because it didn't take into consideration that human beings with reason and free will right. are inherently equal right. in opportunity. Yeah, because there's they a, denied that. Yeah, there's a more fundamental truth Yes, that there is a truth more fundamental than the norm imposed by the state powers. And this gets to something I point out in my book, Father, of looking at the moral logic of consent, <coughs> right? Mm -hmm. I cannot consent to you stealing your neighbor's car mm -hmm. because I don't have that authority to consent to that behavior. So what I point out in the book is that consent presupposes, it requires, it assumes a more fundamental framework that's going to give me the authority to consent or determine the times when I cannot consent and I don't have that authority to consent to some behavior. So in this case, you have a state consenting, giving the norm of something that's inherently unjust, given the more fundamental moral framework that arrive, moral principles, that arise from something even more fundamental than the state itself, namely our nature as human beings. Yeah. And that's just classic mm -hmm. natural moral law reasoning. Uh, just the way that the yeah. many of the states are now saying it is okay. They don't have the moral authority, but they say See, it, it is, is okay yeah. to steal from other people. And, you know, they're, they're driving the economies crazy, <laughs> as well as bringing harm to people. We have to take a break. Okay. So uh, if you want to find out more about Carlo Broussard's work, 
go to his website, which is Carlo Broussard, and Carlo is spelled K-A-R-L-O, and Broussard is capital B-R-O-U-S-S-A-R-D. So carlobroussard.com. And this, this is important work because it's not just theoretical philosophy for academics to sort of, oh, yeah, that's a big thought. Yeah, let's have big thoughts. No, this is affecting the way you can even go shopping because thieves are allowed to take stuff, so all of us have to have everything locked up. Um, the bad people are free, and the toothpaste is locked up. It's crazy. So we'll take a break. We'll come back, get your questions and your comments. Please stay with us. Right, we are talking about the new relativism, unmasking the philosophy of today's woke moralists. And this was written by Carlo Broussard, our guest. This book is available at EWTNRC.com, EWTNRC.com, where it is item number 500CB, 500CB. Okay. Or, Rob, you ready for some questions? Well, as ready as let's we'll start off be. with Rosemary in Oregon. Rosemary, what can we do for you? Well, my major question is why do we not already have uh, restrooms and gyms and everything for men who want to be women and women who want to be men? Where? Those that are women can stay in their own area, and the men can stay in their own room, and then these guys can have whichever room they please. All right. Thank you, Rosemary. I mean, that's a very important question. Yep. Why, why isn't there a sports league, for instance, for people who call themselves trans? Yeah, so with regard to sports leagues and or restrooms, um, I think that's, I, I, as to why they don't have it, you have to ask the companies who make those decisions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think possibly because if they concede to that and provide a space to where these individuals can utilize and protecting the other spaces for those individuals, they'll somehow uh, concede to the pushback. They'll somehow give up on their agenda that they're trying to push us to adopt <coughs> as a culture. And so that's a possible reason why they might not want to go down that route. W with regard to the question of should it be done, I, I think that that's a possible option. I'm hesitant to do that for the same reason because it's conceding to um, perhaps giving in to the 
the modern cultural worldview, but at the same time, rest, restrooms and even sporting events can be a sort of a neutral zone to where, with regard to restrooms, you have family restrooms where anybody can go in and lock the door, right? Whether you're male, female, or you got a bunch of kids with you and go change a poopy diaper, right? So that's a reality that can be a solution to the, to the problem, especially within corporations or facilities that maybe do not accept the LGBTQ plus way of thinking but at the same time having to navigate those turbulent waters, mm -hmm. I see that as a plausible solution. With regard to sports, sport competition, I'm, I'm a bit open to a game that's sort of male and female co-ed. You have co-ed soccer games and stuff to where, hey, if you can compete, compete. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there is that lurking voice in the back of my mind of saying, well, even if you have a female who is very athletic and competitive, on the whole, generally speaking, the men competing in that particular sport are going to be more dominant physically. And so I am worried about the risk of a strong athletic female competing in that competition of that, uh, of that female being subject to hurt and harm uh, but at the same time, maybe the female is tough enough to hang with the boys in a sports competition to where it's just, hey, any athlete who can compete against each other, let them go. Uh, I would have to think about that one a little bit more. I don't know mm -hmm. exactly where I stand on that particular area of sports, but I do think the restroom solution, I'm more agreeable with that than I am with the sports one. I'd have to think about that one a little bit more. I, I think one of the issues that has arisen is that a number of the trans individuals don't want right. a trans league. That's one of the issues. Because and they desire to compete in the female sport because they think they are female. Right. So it would be an injustice to them, once again, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. to not let them compete in the female sport because if these uh, sports leagues create a competition of male and female, they would perceive that as the sports league saying, you don't accept my identity. You don't affirm and approve that I think I am female to be able to participate in right. an all-female league. Exactly. And so that's why they will push back on that. Mm -hmm. And the sports leagues not wanting to offend anybody because we can't, you know, God forbid if we violate this moral imperative of thy shall not offend anybody, right? Uh, then they, they, they won't have a competition to where it's open to all athletes, whether male or female. Uh, so that's yet another thing we could talk about too is just this constant fear of wanting to offend anybody mm -hmm. and how that's in the driver's seat as opposed to truth first and then truth with kindness, truth with niceness. See, this is, uh, I, I think, a very important uh, element that when you get to a point that uh, well I, I don't want to offend anybody then anybody who finds your behavior offensive will be able to manipulate you absolutely and you have children I as I yes, recall we have, we have five yeah and from 18 to 5 and you may have come across a few experiences 
where the kids may try to make you feel guilty for not giving them the toy, the ice cream, the dress, the pants. Mommy's watching right now saying, hey, preach it, Father, you got it right. <laughs> that this, and, and that one of the things that parents have to do, because uh, you want to right. take care of your children, sure. but wait a minute. I'm the adult here. I'm the daddy boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're spot on, Father, because if you are not rooted in any principle, you're going to be, like St. Paul says in Ephesians, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, or in our case, tossed to and fro with everybody's charge against you that you're a bad person, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's this fear of being offensive. And this is one of the chapters in the book, thou, thou shalt not guilt. Why do people have such a, a hard time with us criticizing certain lifestyle choices? Well, because it's going to make them feel guilty and it's going to be offensive to them, mm -hmm. right? And even things on YouTube and Twitter, you know, certain claims that are made or shut down and canceled because these messages some might find offensive. Well, listen, Father, the purpose of life is not about feelings management. If somebody has their feelings hurt or is offensive because somebody has criticized their behavior, the bottom line is they just need to get a little thicker skin and toughen up a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. nobody, wants, nobody wants to be offended, but we have to realize that truth has to be in the driver's seat first. And whenever you make a truth claim, there's always going to be an opposing view that says no. And if that, if that offends the person, well, maybe the problem is with the individual who can't take the, the opposition or the contrary view and not in the truth claim itself. Now, is it true that there are some truth messengers, people who proclaim a truth in an uncharitable way? in a way that's demeaning towards those who oppose them, mm -hmm. in, a, in a way that's sort of mm -hmm. like being a jerk, right? Uh, yes, people do that. And notice there, it's not the, the truth is not the problem. It's the individual or the messenger of the truth. And so and for us as Christians, we need to be aware of that so that when we proclaim the truth, we do it with clarity and persuasiveness, but also with a gentleness. As St. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, when he says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you, what does he say right after that? Do it with gentleness and a, a good conscience. Well, underlying that, and, and this is a, a, what I see as the constant challenge of maturity, mm. that you have to integrate more and more of the virtues that you, again, you probably witnessed a, a few of your children when they're five or six and they know a little bit of reason. Well, daddy said this, so you got to do it. And it's not just that daddy was correct, but I know what daddy said and you got to do it because I said so. Mm. And that is in part a disrespect to the person you're speaking to. That, so truth bearers, people who explain what is correct, also have to do so with a sense of understanding the dignity Absolutely. of the people they're talking to. Sure. That's another aspect of the truth that a mature person 
learns to adjust more and more. Many younger people say true things uncharitably because right. they haven't integrated charity and respect yeah. for other people. Part of maturity is learning. You have to do that, and you have to call them out on the uncharitable way they say the truth. Absolutely. You know, a thought just occurred to me as you were articulating that. Earlier, we were talking about how the those who oppose us are opposing us not with the intellect, but only with the will mm -hmm. to exercise their might to try to shut those who would criticize them down. But Father, we have to be careful that we don't do the same in return. Yes. That we recognize they are a rational animal, a human being with a mind that God has given them. And the pilot light is still on of reason, the pilot light of reason. And we just, we have to fan the flame. Fan the flame. And so it's important for us to realize that if I'm talking to you, you're not just a will in conflict with my will, but you have a mind as well in the driver's seat, the way God made you. And so I need to approach you in our conversation in a way that's going to recognize the reason why you might be engaging in this lifestyle is because you made a false intellectual judgment somewhere along the journey. You've been malformed in the mind somehow. Somebody taught you something or you've been raised differently. And so once I'm aware of that, now my defense mechanisms go down because I realize that your choice to live an immoral behavior or lifestyle is not simply a conflict with my will, as if you're attacking me for mm -hmm. what I believe, right. but that you've just made an erroneous judgment somewhere. And so now I can begin to charitably and patiently have a conversation with you to try to direct your mind to the truth so that the will can follow, because that's how God made us. Let's get another caller, and we have Lou in Michigan. Lou, what can we do for you? Well, Father Mitch, I just have to say I understand about respecting different people and their beliefs and all that, but really I think there's something more sinister going on in the background. I think this is about divide and conquer in our country, for communism to take over. Communists are very patient. They've been working at this for maybe a hundred years. And I really think that this is a strategy to try to make inroads and divide us so that really they can establish a new form of government. And I'd like mm -hmm. to hear the guest thoughts sure. on that. Well, the first thought that comes to mind is I or, or the first question that comes to mind, are there people who have malicious intent behind pushing these modern ideas? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I'll say yes to that. Mm -hmm. But do most people have malicious intent in promoting these woke moral absolutes, as I call them in my book, and the, this way of thinking and these ideas? And I think I have more of a space of, of optimism there in my heart to say, I don't think a lot of people on the ground, in the workplace, in the coffee shop, at work, around the dinner table, have malicious intent. Most people desire to do good, right? There's that innate desire to do what's good and what they perceive to be good. The problem is, is that they have a false perception. They've made an erroneous judgment about these ideas, thinking they are good, and it's our job to patiently try to persuade them with right thinking to what is truly good and authentic mm -hmm. good. 
-hmm. for us as human beings. And I'm optimistic that enough people on the ground can be persuaded. And if you can persuade enough people on the ground to come to embrace truth and conform their lives to that truth, well, then the people in power who have the malicious intent, they don't stand a chance. Yeah. I think that, you know, that uh, I would hold exactly the same position that most folks who are sort of buying into this uh, are appalled by what they hear. I'm thinking a lot of students. They're appalled that people would be unjust. Part of the self-righteous anger that is going on among so many young people who are just outraged. Well, this is white oppression. And, and a number of kids are, are saying, I'm, I'm, I didn't realize I was so bad because I'm white. Right. But and notice, this is white suppression. That's a judgment they've made. And they begin to act on that judgment. Yep. But it's our job to challenge that judgment and say, oh, wait, wait a minute. Is it really white oppression? Or, or is it really that? And then explain to them that in, in most cases, it's not. <laughs> so just real quick, an example. So I gave a presentation on critical race theory at our parish in Marietta, California. And I was talking to some of the students there with their parents. And there was a, a local high school in Marietta where almost the entire student population did a public demonstration of walking off campus in the middle of school because the school board had decided to reject critical race theory and implement it and reject implementing it within their curriculum. Mm -hmm. So they did a demonstration. Most, I'll bet you, 99.9% .9 of those students are thinking critical race theory equals stop white supremacy. But what they fail to realize is what critical race theory is identifying as white supremacy, namely yeah, yeah. objectivity. Right, because they haven't had the, they didn't get the coursework. Correct. The other thing too, and this is where I think Lou's point, is that there are some people who are right. explicitly Marxist. Yeah. We talked about this when we had Dr. Edward Fazer oh. on the show, <laughs> uh, talking about this Big issue. fan of his, yeah, they, great, great philosopher. Some of these folks are explicitly Marxist, um, Black Lives Matter would be an yeah. example. The leaders of that were explicitly Marxist. And in some of the critical race theory theorists, they want right. people to say, there's nothing you can do about your white oppression or as a person of color, you're oppre being oppressed. You can't change it. Yeah. All you can do is let me be in charge of how society can go so you can meditate on your racist sins. <laughs> that, and they want to be in charge. Yeah. There's, we talked exactly about that, and that's yeah. exactly right, but that's, and, not and, a, that's not conscious to most people. Right, and it's important to affirm both, right? That yes. there are some with the malicious yep, intent. Absolutely. And, and at the same time to affirm that most people are not so that the, your average Christian on the street listening to this sort of conversation doesn't think, well, just because my neighbor thinks critical race theory is good, he's somehow a Marxist and right. has malicious intent. Right. And we don't want that to cross over in any way. Exactly. We have to pay close attention to what's going on. Again, I want to promote your book. It's called The New Relativism, Unmasking the Philosophy of Today's Woke Moralist.
for our guest, Carlo Broussard. You can get it at EWTNRC.com, where it is item number 500CB. And also want to let you know that you can go to Catholic.com, which is the website of Catholic Answers, and find out tons of great information. Carla, we're running out of time. Wow, thank you so already. much. That's already. amazing. Let's thank you. Thank you for being thank you with for us me, Father. all this way. Enjoy your move to Oklahoma. Yes, sir. In the great diocese of Tulsa, fine bishop there. And may the Lord bless all of you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and lead you in all your ways by his peace. Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we can bring you Carlo and all our other guests, our specials, especially the ones coming up this weekend on Corpus Christi, only because this network is brought to you by you. So please remember to keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill, and we'll pay our bills too. Thank you. <laughs>